0: Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Horst Schulze. He is a legend and leader in the hotel world. His teachings and vision have reshaped the concept of service and hospitality across industries. His professional life began more than 65 years ago as a server's assistant in a German resort town. Throughout the years, he worked for both Hilton Hotels and Hyatt Hotel Corporations before becoming one of the founding members of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company in 1983. There, he created the operating and service standards that have become world famous. During his tenure at the Ritz, he served as president and COO responsible for the $2 billion operations worldwide. After leaving the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, he went on to found the Capella Hotel Group. This luxury hotel company managed some of the most elite properties worldwide and gave him the opportunity to further define the luxury hotel industry, receiving countless awards and recognitions. Today, he serves on various boards, acts as a consultant, and recently published a book called Excellence Wins. Welcome, Horst, to the podcast.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so thrilled to have you. I mean, you are just such an inspiration to you know so many industries, really shaping how we all think about hospitality and excellence in service and hoteling. So it, it really is an honor and a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Well, so we're gonna start this out with something I call bullish and bearish. It's nothing too too uh, scary. We're just gonna <laughs> come up with a couple questions.. Okay. And uh, then it's just bullish if you're for it, bearish if you're against it, and we'll get started. Are you ready?
1: Yes, I'm ready.
0: All right, The first one, customers or consumers will remember the experience they have. With a brand much longer than the price they paid. Absolutely. I agree. I love that whole concept. All right, we'll dig into that in a second. The next one robots in the hospitality industry. No way. Okay, we'll get into that too. And the third one American football or European football? Both. <laughs> There you go. It was kind of not a bullish bearish, but I figured I'd give you a, you know, you had to pick one or the other. I had to emphasize
1: it. I had to emphasize it. That's why I say absolutely.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, let's jump right into it because, you know, I think we could go on for days, but I would love to have you just start from the beginning of when you realized, right as you were thinking about creating the Ritz-Carlton a hotel company way back in the early 80s. What was the inspiration to really make it about this experience for your guests?
1: Well, uh, mind you, I was in the business by that time many years. I worked in, and truly, I'm not just saying that, I worked in the finest hotels in Europe he viewed the Place Aden in Paris, the Savoy in London, Borwash Palace, Switzerland, Honda Merkel Line, and so on. So, and then I worked for Hilton and Hyatt. And I, I was offered to. They operate in charge of the operations of this new hotel company, which was created by developers and financial people in Atlanta. They had two hotels in construction, and they called me, Would you run this hotel company for us? I had no interest, frankly, because I was in charge of food and beverage operations for the United States or for Hyatt, which is a great company, and I love the people and everything. But it, it, when they offered it, I said, "Absolutely not, not interested." But I thought by myself, "What would I have done if I would have accepted that job?" And I started a dream, developed. I would have, I dreamed I would develop the finest hotel company in the world, and a vision and developed. And when they kept on calling, I finally accepted the job, and left behind. A great company, a great place to work and my golden handcuffs and everything and moved to Atlanta and started this new hotel company with the absolute only dream I'm going to create the finest hotel company in the world. So in other words, purpose was driving me, not work, not anything else, but vision and purpose.
0: And, And that's just such a strong foundational statement. And I know that, you know, you have a lot of thoughts around when you hire people, it isn't about filling a job or filling a role or putting someone in a seat. It is really about finding them, finding people to work uh, for your company that align with the purpose.
1: Can, that's right can you share a little bit around that Well, well in, in fact I, I i would go further than that i think we as companies and i'm including myself there don't don't anybody gets insulted we're nearly immoral how we hire people we hire them to fulfill a certain function in my case to wash dishes make clean rooms check in cook food and so on i i think that is kind of you know, that, that is a function. The chair on which we're sitting is fulfilling a function. But we're dealing with human beings who need belonging and purpose. Even Aristotle, 300, 2,000 years ago, said that people to be fulfilled in life need purpose. So why wouldn't we hire people to join the vision, the dream, the purpose of an organization? And so I feel very strongly about that, so that's what we did, we hired people not to work for us, but join us, join our dream, but at the same time, of course, connect their, their motives in life, that means making money and so on, together to the purpose. We, for, for example, we hired them. We selected them for that. And for example, the first day of work, we didn't talk about work. We talked about the purpose, the vision of the company, invited them to join us, Told them the motive for the purpose of being the best in the world. So we could grow, so we would be respected, and connected it to their motives, opportunity, respect, honor, fulfillment, and so on. So it's a total different attitude and thinking of leadership thinking than, than the norm, which is here, go and do the job, and that's all we need from you.
0: Well, and part of that has to do with what what's you've Sort of gone through the interview process, and someone says, "Yes, I understand your the purpose and the vision, and I want to come work. You know, for at this point, you know, talking about the Ritz, that I want to come work for the Ritz." And then it it really starts with this training philosophy that you have, and I mean, it the the brand was is and continues to be so um maniacally focused and consistent around the globe on that experience from a training perspective and and I heard a rumor uh that you actually continued to conduct training from the first day all the way through that it was very important to how you wanted to make sure that that purpose was was explained and yes. and trained
1: yes and for- In fact, uh, once we established, to give you the picture, once we established, we want to be the world's leader. And and so we said, okay, what is the market expecting uh, from us? That means whatever they expect, if I do that superior to the competition, we will be the number one in the world. So because we made studies what the market expected, we established that in order to be superior to the competition there are 20 points that we have to fulfill in a superior way so we had to we had to create Those 20 points, we had to teach them as soon as people started working. The first day, we informed them who we are, we invited them into our company and showed them who we are, and connected them. We aligned them, if you will, a a buzzword today, alignment, we aligned them who we are. The next day, we aligned them to our market. We showed them, here's what the customer wants, here are the 20 points. If we do them better than anybody else, we will accomplish our dream of being the leader, global leader in the service business, which gives us recognition everyone on an opportunity. So we align people not only to who we are but to what the customer wants. And and that's how and then the next day is only the next day we continue the, the teaching of the customer and only the fourth day when the customer and employee starts, we show them their, their function. But then, and that's what you alluded to, then the 20 points which we taught so thoroughly the second day of that uh, an employee starts, we, read, we repeated one point every day from there on. For example, today it may be t- point number 12. If a guest asks for direction, don't point. Take him there and have meaningful conversation as you walk. Now, in 20 days, that point will be repeated again, and you cannot go to work today with no no shift. And mind you, we're a 24-hour business. Every shift, every employee will be learning again that one point of differentiation.
0: Well, and I think that speaks... Volumes to the role that leadership plays, and I use leadership in air quotes here because leadership doesn't just mean at your level, right? It could be, you know, a, a team leader or you know someone. Ad- okay, so when I say leadership, I mean uh, it's sort of everybody. But it, it says a lot about in it, you know, in order for you to be an effective leader in this particular uh, establishment, right? At this brand. You, you are showing people excellence every single day. It's this, you're always striving for making sure that, you know, when you show up, that it is all about delivering excellence. Going back to those 20 points on a regular basis allows you to remind people, you know, they get into that comfortable state and they forget, oh, that's right. You know, and so that constant re- reminding and refreshing of these of philosophies in these 20 points is really about being a leader that's showing your people the way towards excellence. Is that a good way to describe it?
1: Exactly. You know, this whole leadership concept, I think, is misunderstood. Uh, People think when you're a manager, you're a leader. You're You're not a leader. You're either a manager or a leader. A manager, of course, manages processes. A leader creates an environment in which people want to do the job excellently. That's it I, I I kind of created a model for that, if you will. If you would write on top of the model is vision. The leader has a vision. And and the leader questioned himself, is that vision truly good for all concerned? That means that means the investor, the employee, the customer and society. If the answer is an unequivocal yes, it's good for all, that then directs you how to manage. That means you have to, of course. Uh, keep on be committed to it initiate the steps that get you to the point that the vision is initiate those steps and help people to to, to, to complete and organize those particular steps and keep focus on it a leader cannot compromise now because it has been established it's good for all concerned consequently the leader cannot compromise but the leader has to be the the support system to all in the organization in to complete the work that has to be done. Uh, As a leader, I'm the support system uh, without compromise in mind you, Uh, but, but that's the role of the leader to be a support system for all that do the work and the function that has to be done.
0: Well, you know, if you if you think about that even further, and and you know, it's been said a number of times um, with previous guests I've had on my podcast, one uh, Tom Peters, who wrote The Excellence Dividend, and I'm sure, sure you know Tom, sure. right? Yeah, that that you know, he often says, and and he is saying it from from someone else as well, that you know, your customers are only going to be as happy as your employees. Exactly. Right right? And so sort of getting them to understand the role that they play and delivering that quote unquote excellence every day, that they feel like their leaders are backing them up and are supporting them as they go on this journey. And if they happen to not have a good day, that it's not the end of the world, that everyone's there to support everyone. It is. I think it is this extremely defining competitive differentiation, right? Whether it's the Ritz. Whether it's Shake Shack with Danny Meyer and radical hospitality, whether it's Southwest Airlines, you know, what yeah. there are a handful of brands where, and like the Ritz, where people just associate that brand with service excellence. That's
1: right. That's right. And and, and it's, it's it's very it's very clear. In, in order to have the right workforce, I have to understand. Number one, I have to select the right employee. Number two, I have to align them to the organization and to the customer. Number n- n- number three, I have to teach them the function, of course. Now, if something goes wrong, and I can attest to, I look, I opened a hotel around the world, and every hotel that we open, every location, we were the absolute leader. That can be verified easily. It's not my words. It's a fact. So, In in every location, I I opened the first 55 hotels in Ritz-Carlton. I did the orientation. I then asked the employees what they want to be around the world, mind you, what they want to be in six months from now. And they all said, everywhere the same answer, we want to be the best. So what happens if after six months some of them are doing a, a bad job? Is it the employee or is it leadership? I submit to you it's leadership. Because it's very easy then to say, oh, that was a bad employee. But what leadership has to question himself, what did I do wrong, did I make the wrong selection, am I not aligning them properly, am I not maintaining a, a culture in which they enjoy working? That's leadership has to question themselves then. The, you see, the employee, if the employee was a bad employee. It, 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 that you cannot do anything about it, he cannot help it or she. Maybe they were raised strong by their parents, but you, leader, you were the dummy that hired them. That needs to be accepted, and if I once I know that, I can adjust and change my my processes and improve them.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, Ginger Hardage, who came on, she ran uh, customer experience and employee. Uh, experience at Southwest for 25 years, you know, which is another brand, and 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 her whole philosophy from Herb was sort of hire hard, manage easy, right? So making sure you make those hiring decisions that align to the values and the vision, and and they're on board. If you are really particular upfront, it makes it managing them going back to what you were just saying much easier. That you know, if someone is having a tough time. That you as a leader, you say, Well, is it me? What's my role here? Did I not hire correctly? Exactly. Right, which goes back to right, hiring hard. But if I believe I hired correctly, then have I failed them? Because as leaders, we we can't make excuses, right? You just have to figure out how do I fix it. Exactly.
1: In fact, as a leader, you have no right to make excuses. You forfeited that right. It's not excuses, it's processes, it's analysis, it's working, it's improvement. That's what it is as a leader. And you have to question yourself when you went wrong in that moment, you're able to, ex- to improve because you, you're not easily dismissing it with the, with, the, with the employee that was not good, if you will, but you're not dismissing your responsibility with them, which, which, which doesn't improve anything. I, if I accept my responsibility and, and analyze where did I go wrong, then I can improve in that particular area.
0: And, and so what would you uh, advise? Because, you know, people who listen to this podcast are, you know, either individual contributors or they're just starting on their management career, or they've now maybe, you know, just moved to more responsibility or even, or even looking for, you know, their next role in, in starting their own businesses. And, you know, what kinds of, yeah, you have your 20 points, but, how do you align people from a metric perspective? Right? Because I think that that puts a little bit of hard behind the soft of, look, we're just driving to excellence. you know, measuring excellence is difficult. And so how did you me- measure the excellence?
1: But, yeah, oh yeah, in, in, in careful uh, scientific employee surveys and and i asked the leader i couldn't look i couldn't study each survey each employee survey in the company with 50 hotels or whatever we had at the time i i looked only on two questions the overall satisfaction of the employees and the the the, the question uh, would you recommend your closest relative to work for this company and if, and i expected that 92% of the answers were top box, were absolutely. And if it was not 92%, I asked for an analysis as to why not. So it's all measurement. It's, everything in a business is process and measurement. And even your emotion, you have to make sure that they are processed and measured. That's that simple it's not hoping hoping is not a strategy you and once you measure you can go and improve and work on the process that is not good that shows there is not good result and work and improve that process and so there is a, if you continuously improve sooner or later you will be where you want to be and that's a, an organizational continuous improvement and it's and and not blame the employee of it. Blame your own process. That's the point that we made earlier.
0: Yeah. And so, would you would you measure uh, leaders? Sort of, you know, managers. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Would would yeah? Would you measure them on things like? customer satisfaction. So you have the employee survey, but is it customer satisfaction? Is it net promoter score? Yeah, is it? It's a, yeah, it's
1: a different, so a different survey. The customer satisfaction is one part and the employee satisfaction is another. Both of them, we had our, our customer satisfaction was on a daily basis. Our employee satisfaction was once a year and then we looked because the, the employees don't like to over, be overanalyzed. And then we, but then we opened ourselves up online to make comments about the organization, so I knew I knew every day what's the customer satisfaction in each hotel, and and again our, our number my number was 92. If top box was not 92, I interceded, and if, if it didn't improve from from let's say in the middle 80s, if it didn't improve if it improved the next month, that's fine as long as we continuously improve. If it did not improve, I interceded, and in fact, the biggest threat that I made to my hotels was, if you don't improve for two months in a row, I will move into the hotel with you and run it myself. And in fact, I did that several times, until we were a 92-plus percentage point. I cannot afford that more. It, it, see... 92% is kind of the edge where you want to be top box. I, and I expected that it will even go higher. But I cannot afford that too many people, too many guests leave and said you were so-so. You were I needed the, the guests to leave, to leave and tell their travel agent that we were, we were exceptional.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think what was great and what you just said is, and, and I don't think enough leaders do this quite, quite honestly, even at the CEO level that if there's a problem you're going to show up you're going to be there and say look i'm going to leave my office and i'm going to come to your property and we're going to figure this out together exactly. you know or i'm going to get on your airplane you know with a herb example or the costco ceo right where i'm going to physically let the people see me here being very invested in their success you know in the hotel success but more importantly so that we can Deliver this level of excellence, so customers one want to come back, two say think something positively, you know, to their friends and inner circle, especially now with social media.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Social media that you cannot afford to have detractors. You see, there, there are three types of custom of customers: the one who are dissatisfied, and and when we measure on the scale of one to ten, the one the one uh, that uh, worth you one to three, they are. They are dissatisfied, they become terrorists against your organization. They will talk negative about you, maybe also on social media. Then you have four to eight, they're kind of neutral. They're not yours, they're they're satisfied. So what, they're not yours. And then there is nine and 10, they're your customers. They're loyal, what does that mean? That means they have developed trust in your organization, trust in your delivery. And consequently, they become loyal. And that's what every organization should be sh- shooting for, that that every guest becomes loyal. That's what we were shooting for.
0: Well, and what's fascinating, and I think, you know, I was, when I was preparing for our time together, you know, you, when you left the Ritz, you, uh, you know, were gonna, you retired, I should say, yeah, right? Brilliant. And then, you know, like two days yeah. later, two days later, you yeah. were bored, <laughs> right? yeah. And you said I'm going to do this again, but the comment that I heard you make was you wanted to actually step it up a yeah. level. So even though Ritz is held at this high standard of excellence of service and employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction and excellence, and you know it, it charges a premium for that experience, which it's you know uh, uh, deserving. That you actually said I want to step it up a notch. And and how did you? even think that you were gonna be able to do that into this kind of ultra luxury category. Well, it was
1: kind of shown, it was kind of in, in front of my face because we could see that the, that the luxury market was sh- changing into affordable luxury and ultra luxury. So when I saw that I, I, I had some studies conducted that told me what is ultra luxury in the mind of my consumer my customer, my market segment. And it became very clear. And uh, when I saw that, I kind of wanted to do that and created Capella Hotel Group, uh, extremely successfully in Asia, uh, super luxury hotels that are smaller, very individualized, uh, very different than than the normal luxury hotel. In an ultra luxury hotel like our Capella hotels, uh, in a very simple way, is uh, we just do everything for you as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical, we do it. You don't have you don't have things like uh, check-in time, check-out time. It's all about the customer and not anymore about you, the business. That's what we created in in a in a, in a real fun, beautiful way. And uh, like like, if you come to our hotel in Singapore, you make a reservation. We call you back and say, "What can we do for you in Singapore when you come here? Do you have an allergy diet? Do you want us to make museum reservation? Anything you want, we do it for you." And and so to, I'm going to
0: ask a you know a selfish question, but I you know I think what's what gets difficult, and and please you know you know this better than I do. But that becomes this sort of pyramid of at the tip of the spear, you know, this ultra experience comes with a price tag. Oh yeah. And so, you know, how how do you and is it possible to deliver a level of that, not to that degree, right, where you don't have check-in and check-out times and will do anything for you, obviously, because you, you couldn't afford to do that. But in the long tail of the masses... I'm not saying for your brand, I'm saying for someone who's listening and goes, well, we don't have an upper end brand that's charging a premium. We maybe have a brand that is um, consistent. Our customers trust us. We deliver the right uh, value equation with the money for what people get. But I want to turn the dial up on the excellence and the service that I provide without adding too much expense to the business where it isn't sustainable for me. So, what things would you give as advice for brands that are not maybe the premium brand category, but want to deliver a premium experience?
1: Yeah, well, of course, in our case, we we, we it was not that that complicated. It was that we knew what the market wants, that we could. We looked at how we can deliver it. We decided we can only deliver it if we have smaller hotels, meaning up to 100 rooms without conventions. That's what a customer wants, and and, and we can charge, have to charge more. So we could only be in X locations uh, as capella. That's clear. At the same time, at uh, the same time, we said it in the beginning. And it has been proved. There have been a number of surveys made. The latest was made by very recently by by uh, Price Waterhouse. Uh, what drives customer satisfaction? And it, they came out with 85% of the satisfaction in a certain product is because of the the human, lead, the human interaction they had, with other words, the hospitality. I, and I'm not talking about hotels here, I'm talking any any product. 85% were satisfied because of the human interaction and not because of the product itself. And and that doesn't cost anything, that human reaction. It, it, it just is all the stuff that we discussed. It, it means that we, we have to hire people who are nice. Who are nice. Oh, what a huge demand we have on our, our employees nice but you know that means you have to have an environment where people enjoy being nice it comes right back to leadership you can be so much better i can be i'm not being arrogant here i can be than we are today just by making sure we are nice be a little nicer if you want to be extraordinarily good because you know it's not anymore the product It's your being nice and helpful with the customer that drives satisfaction. And that's a study shows by 85%. Yeah.
0: And as you say, right, just care a little more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just care a little more.
0: Just care a little more. Well, this has been so fantastic. I mean, I literally, I could just keep talking to you because this is such a topic that is near and dear to, to, to my heart and kind of where I spend the majority of my time around trying to help brands and companies figure out this shifting from being very product centric, sort of what is the product they're selling or Clayton Christensen, what job needs to be done, right? Uh, Those things. And and pivoting more towards being employee first and customer centric in search of this excellence. And so I think you really, you know, laid out this wonderful um, vision of how it can be very successful and build uh, obviously, a, a world-leading brand that everyone aspires to be like. And so, with that, what what would you leave as sort of final bits of advice for the for our listeners
1: today? Well, and nothing nothing new. The the, the whole be, be driven, and that's what I see all the time. It just doesn't exist in most companies. Be driven by a purpose. Don't be don't be driven by the money. Manage and. Con- And and focus on the things that make money and not on the money. And what makes money is good service, good product, good attention, follow-through, respecting the customer, respecting the employees. All those things make money. And instead, every company, it seems, concentrate on money in order to make it. That's not how you make it. You make it with your product, with your service, with your attention. And if you concentrate on that, you will make the money.
0: Well, I think that that is a great way to end this. You know, excellence wins uh, every every time, right? So focus on exactly. that. Well, thank you yeah. so, much, so much, Horst, for joining me today on the What's Next podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And please, everybody who's listening, you know, if you want to learn more about what what Horst thinks in this whole topic, please pick up a copy of his book, Excellence Wins. And thank you again, Horst, for joining us today.
1: I was delighted to be with you. Thank you.
0: What an amazing conversation with Horst. I could have gone on for hours, as you, I'm sure you could, could hear in my voice and in my questions. But I love his message. I love his message that excellence wins in the end. I love his message around making sure that his employees understand the purpose of the business and how to connect those employees to that purpose. And then really leading from example, that showing up makes them feel like you care about them, you care about their success, and more importantly, you care about what they do every day. And understanding the market and anticipating the needs and knowing where you can win and where you aren't supposed to play in the first place goes a long way in making sure that you align yourself to those customers appropriately. So with that, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Horace. Pick up a copy of his book, Excellence Wins. Make sure that you subscribe to the What's Next podcast, share with your friends, leave a review. But more than anything, I appreciate your time that you spent with me here today and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.